So we're continuing our fall series on life's biggest decisions. We're taking a look at some of those decisions that, that most of us will be called upon to make in our lives, sometimes one, sometimes multiple occasions. And we're trying to see what the Spirit of God has to, to offer us in leading us in making better decisions. Today the topic is, how should I invest my money? And my wife said, you know, you're kind of going from preaching to meddling at this point. And that, that may be the case. I'll let you be the judge on that. Susie Orman, uh, TV financial guru, some of you may be fans or, or not, uh, but she wrote a book called The Nine Steps to Financial Freedom. And in this book, she tells a, a great story. She was visiting Mexico and she was at one of those outdoor markets with all the, the different booths and vendors and, you know, just kind of a blanket over your head. And she was walking through this market and she came across a stall where a man was selling parrots, big parrots and little parrots and red and blue and green and all kind of parrot you can imagine. But what caught her attention is that none of the birds were in cages. They were all simply sitting on a perch. And so she began to look closer, and she noticed they weren't tied or tethered to the perch. They just were clutching on. And she wondered why they didn't fly away. So she went to the, the shopkeeper, and she asked him, why don't the birds fly away? He said, well, when they're very young, I teach them that the perch means safety and security, and it's dangerous for them to fly away. And once they learn that lesson they will never leave the perch. In fact, if this entire market went up in flames, those birds would not leave the perch. And Susie said it's like a light bulb went on in her head. And she realized that she had been taught things about life, in particular about money, that were the same way. As a child, she had been taught that money was the perch that you clutched onto and held onto, and there was safety and security and self-worth in the money. And she said, suddenly it just, this dawned on her. And she asked the man, is there any way to unteach the birds? And he said, oh, it's quite simple. Once you teach them that they can let go and be okay, they'll all fly away and you'll never see them again. And she said that's what she wanted for her life in terms of her um, uh, enslavement to money. So she wrote this book about what she learned and how to help people get off that perch, that false perch of security and self-worth based upon our monetary worth. Jesus spent a lot of his time helping unteach people. Helping, teach, helping people get above and beyond the false lessons that the world imposes upon us. And one of the things that Jesus talked about a lot was money and wealth and possessions and resources. You know, he talked about this more than he talked about prayer, more than he talked about heaven or salvation. He talked about money and wealth and resources and what we're supposed to do with it all. So this morning, we're going to look at, as Christians, as people who have given their heart and their lives to Jesus Christ, how should we invest our money? As Robin mentioned, our scripture reading today, first scripture comes from Gospel according to Matthew in the sixth chapter. 
Let's listen for God's word to us. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. My friends, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the blessing that you always give us in the reading and hearing of your sacred word. May that word find its home in our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray your spirit would rest upon me, guiding my thoughts, removing from my lips any words but your own. That with faithfulness and with integrity, I might proclaim the wonderful good news of your redeeming love. Amen. One of the points Jesus emphasizes over and over and over again is that our most important investments are not monetary. Our most important investments are not monetary. This was really driven home for me this week. Maybe some of you all saw this on the news. There was this guy named Mohammed El Arian. And Mohammed El Arian is American, and he was a CEO of a major um, uh, investment fund. And he was working like crazy, 80-hour work weeks and, and just one of those crazy schedules, making a boatload of money. But sometime a few weeks ago, his 10-year-old daughter gave him a little note she had written asking him to work fewer hours. And she listed, 10-year-old listed 22 significant events in her life that her father had missed. Things like birthday parties and piano recitals and soccer games that he had not been there for her. And he, when he got this letter, he cried and touched his heart. He went and quit his job. He says he is so happy now, although he's making a lot less money, but every morning he makes breakfast and drives his daughter to work. Now, here's what I want you to hear. I am not telling you to quit your jobs, okay? Don't go home and say, preacher, say we ought to quit our job. No, I am a big fan of employment, okay? You hear that? Big fan of employment. But the point of the story is that there are some things more important than our financial worth. There are some things more important than our stock portfolio. Having said that, we as Americans are some of the wealthiest people in the world. And here in, the United, uh, in Texas and in Austin and in this part of Austin, some of us, if not most of us, are at least in the 90th percentile or above of the wealthiest people in the world. For us, it's not a matter of will we have financial resources. We do have financial resources. So the question for us is why do we have them and what do we do with them? We also are disciples of Jesus Christ. And one of the outrageous claims that we make is that Jesus is Lord of all of life. That Jesus is Lord of our hearts 
our hearts and our heads, our hands, our feet. Jesus is Lord of us inside this church and outside the church. Jesus is Lord in our schools, in our hospitals, in our businesses. There is no aspect of life to which Jesus is not Lord, to which we are not accountable to Jesus for. Sometimes we don't like to believe that. Sometimes we don't act that way. You know, there's a story told, um, I don't know if it's true or not, it's about Emperor Constantine in the fourth century. And when Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity just before the Battle of Milan, he had all of his Roman troops baptized. And the story goes that as the Roman soldiers were marching through the waters, they all held up their swords out of the water so that God could have their, their head and their heart and their soul, but the emperor could keep the sword. Well, some of us act as though our wallets haven't been baptized. We act as though that God can have our head and our heart and our souls, but by golly, the checkbook, the investment portfolio, the wallet stays above the water. That is not a Christian perspective. We say God is Lord of all of life. And so what we do with our lives and with our money should reflect our Christian values, should reflect, reflect our status as the beloved children of God, should reflect the fact that we have been saved by the grace of God and that our lives are lived in gratitude for what God has done for us. That should be part of our everyday life as well as our investment strategy. Now these days... There seem to be two school of thoughts about our investments and what we do with our money. The first, and I'm painting with broad pictures, okay? Broad strokes here. Um, the first is epitomized by Ayn Rand. And some of you may have read uh, Ayn Rand's most famous book, Atlas Shrugged. And Ayn Rand's view is basically make all you can and keep all you can, all right? Make all you can, keep all you can. But there is another point of view, and I think it's perhaps best expressed by John Wesley, who said nearly the same thing. Wesley said, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. See, there's a difference here. And Rand is an avowed, outspoken atheist. Wesley was the founder of the Methodist Church. You see, Wesley understood that it's not just about us and our individual wealth, and what we have in our checkbooks, our investment accounts, our portfolios. It's about what we do with it. How do we invest in the kingdom of God? How do we serve Jesus? How do we glorify God? How do we live life in the Spirit through our finances? Now, as Presbyterians, we are committed to serving God in any way possible. And we believe that, that there should be certain guidelines, there should be certain ways that we use our money, ways that, that glorify God and increase the kingdom of God. So long ago, just after World War II, the Presbyterian Church USA established something called MARTA, uh, the Mission Responsibility Through Investment. And one of the early people who served on MARTA was Sir John Templeton. You may know that name of Templeton Franklin Funds. Templeton was a lifelong Presbyterian, a great, 
great philanthropist, and he served as president of the Board of Pensions and on our uh, board of, of the foundation. And uh, I personally owe him a debt of gratitude because I have a very secure pension thanks to his wise investment. So thank you, Sir John Templeton. But this man knew what he was doing, and he helped put together these guidelines for Presbyterians' mission responsibility through investment. And they said things like, we are not going to invest the Presbyterian pension funds and the foundation money in corporations that do not do good in the world, that do not lift up positive values, that do not serve the purposes of the kingdom of God. So for instance, we don't invest our pension funds in tobacco companies. We don't invest our pension fund in gaming and gambling companies. We don't invest our pension fund in companies that uh, support or, or even that just turn a blind eye to, to human trafficking or sexual exploitation. We don't do that. We don't invest our money in companies that um, uh, build weapons that kill indiscriminately, like landmines. We don't invest our uh, uh, money into companies that have a vested interest in promoting warfare because they profit off of warfare. We have a whole list of things that we don't invest in. Now, we can discuss and we can disagree on whether specific companies belong on the list or the category, and, and that's fine. I'm very open to that conversation. To me, the point, though, is we are trying to live out our Christian values through our investment strategies. And John Templeton did this throughout his life, and as we know, became a very wealthy man following these investment strategies. So it's not a matter of either value or growth, you can do both. But what we do with our money matters, and it should matter. Um, some of you are aware that um, Sam and Helen Walton were lifelong Presbyterians, members of PCSA. To this day, the Sam and Helen Walton Trust is still the largest donor ever to the Presbyterian Church USA. And so whether you like to shop at Walmart or not, know that every time you spend a penny there, a little bit of that penny is coming to the Presbyterians. So thank you. <laughs> but um, Sam and Helen Walton were another Presbyterian couple that lived this out. And at some point, now I'm sure they all already had quite a nice home and, and uh, were well off, but Helen made the decision that for every dollar they saved, they would give a dollar away to the Presbyterian Church, to all sorts of missions. She was very concerned about education, especially in lower income communities. And so they gave away a fortune of money because they lived by that Wesley quote, for everything that they saved, they gave away an equal amount of money. Here is a family that put their money into the kingdom of God. Now, back to where I started, as important as it is, where and how and why we invest our money, that our investments reflect our God values, we go back to the point that our most important investments are not monetary. Our most important investments are the ones that we make in people, how we invest in people's lives. A couple of years ago, uh, my wife Stacy and I started investing through micro-loan program, this uh, group called uh, Villages and Partnership in Malawi that we operate through. Uh, a bunch of good 
good folks, Presbyterians in Malawi doing this. And so my wife and I, are right now we're invested in a little bodega, like a little convenience store, and a goat farm. And both seem to be doing quite well. But the point here is that we're investing in improving people's lives. Could we get a better return on that money somewhere else? Probably. Would we feel as good about it as we do? Probably not. I'm not going to give you stock tips, but I'm going to give you a challenge. Consider where you have your money invested. What kind of things are you encouraging and supporting in this world? Are they the things that lead to warfare and destruction and the diminishing of life? Or are they the things that build up? Are they the things that promote health and healing and reconciliation and education? I challenge you to review your stock portfolios and make sure that your investments reflect your kingdom values. Now, I promised you every week I was going to give you a tool, um, a, a discipline of discernment as you go through making your big life decisions. And we talked about the difference between discernment and deciding, and, and we talked about uh, praying about these things. And today I want to talk about, this is going to also a no-brainer to you, but uh, read your Bible. Friends, there is so much wisdom, so much knowledge, so much understanding. Uh, for Presbyterians, this is the Word of God, and this is where we come to for truth. We shouldn't shy away from it when we're asking the big questions, making the big decisions. Uh, the verse I have to share with you today comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, where he says, All Scripture is God-breathed. Don't you love that? God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture is God-breathed. That word ruach, the same word that used that God breathed over the void and the chaos to create the world. God uses that same inspiration to give us the word of God. Now, the thing is, we all know that parts of Scripture are more clear than others. Sometimes we get to Scripture and we say, what do we do with that? Um, as Presbyterians... We wanted to help people understand the Scripture because it does matter how you read Scripture. Some of the most heinous crimes, some of the world's worst things have been committed by people who read the Scriptures, but they read it without understanding. And so uh, we created this little booklet uh, back in 83, and it's been updated a few times, called Presbyterian Understanding and Use of Holy Scripture. Um, this gives us guidance on how to read this and how to know when our understanding is on target and how to know when it's gone askew. And I strongly encourage you, you can read this off the uh, PCUSA website or you can uh, buy a copy for yourself, but um, I want to point out that there are four basic rules for interpretation or rules for how we read Scripture. The first is that Jesus Christ is the focal point. This book is a gift to us from God that leads us to Jesus Christ. The Old Testament and the New Testament find their focus in Jesus. So if you are reading Scripture in a way that does not lead you to Jesus Christ, then you're not reading it with the eyes of discernment. Okay, All Scripture leads us to Jesus Christ. 
Second, and I call it the rule of integrity, Scripture interprets Scripture. When you come to a part that's unclear, something that you don't quite understand, you interpret that in light of what you do understand. We as Presbyterians believe that there is a, enough of Scripture that is plain spoken and understandable that when you come to something you don't, you fall back upon what you do know so that Scripture will not contradict itself but rather supports itself. So when you come to something you don't understand, fall back on what you do understand to interpret what you don't. The third, the rule of love. We believe that, that God is love. Jesus said that the most important things were to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's about love. And we believe that any interpretation or reading of Scripture which does not lead to love, which leads to discrimination, which leads to uh, disrespect, which leads to a dehumanizing, which leads to animosity and division, is not a true reading of Scripture. The Scriptures are meant to foster love and compassion and mercy and understanding and unity. Fourth, the practice of humility. As Presbyterians, we freely confess. We have gotten it wrong in the past, and we may get it wrong again at some time in the future. So we are always humble in our understanding of Scripture. We always do so saying, this is where we believe the Spirit of God is leading us today. But we do so with humility because the past is so full of mistakes. So we always interpret humbly, always waiting for God to give a more fuller revelation to us. So anyways, that's a tip of the iceberg. But the point is, when you're making your big decisions, you are not without resource. You are not without counsel. You can go to the scriptures to find what God's word has to say in leading you in your discernment. Friends, I truly believe that we are all one big decision away from being the people God created us to be. I believe we are one big decision away from living the life that God created us to be. So friends, discern wisely. One of the ways that we experience the Spirit of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, is at the table in the sacraments. This table does not belong to Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church. It's not a Presbyterian table. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's not Nancy's. This is the table of our Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus is the host at this table. And so it is in the name of our Lord Jesus that I invite you all to participate. Come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to the table, not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Come to this table, not because you have any claims upon the rewards of heaven, but because you do stand in constant need of God's help and God's mercy. Come to the table, not to express an opinion, but to prayerfully seek the real presence of our living Lord. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Most holy God, Creator of heaven and earth, with joyful hearts we offer you our thanks and praise. How wonderful are your ways, Almighty God. How marvelous is your name, O Holy One. You alone are God. 
Therefore, with apostles and prophets and that great cloud of witnesses who live for you beyond all time and space, we lift our hearts in joyful praise. We praise you, most holy God, for sending your Son, Jesus, to live among us, full of grace and truth. He made you known to all who received him, sharing our joy and sorrow. He healed the sick and was a friend of sinners. He taught us to pray in confidence, knowing that you hear our prayers. We are so thankful for how you have added Marcus and Emily to our WHPC staff, We pray that they will seek your guidance and that you will speak boldly through them as they seek to serve and honor you. We know that there are Christians around the world who are being persecuted because of their faith. We pray that you will bring them to our minds on a regular basis and that we might lift them up in prayer, that the right people and funds will come their way and that they not lose hope in staying true to the faith. We know that death is part of life. But at the same time, there is a sting of loss and a need to grieve. Please grant peace to those who are struggling with the loss of loved ones, that they might feel your peace and that you would send the right people to walk this path with them. Help us to never take for granted our health or job security. We often go about life and forget to be thankful until it is not there. Oh, that you would bring healing and stability during these times in our lives. Thank you for your holy word and how we find comfort in it. Thank you for life and the choices we make, that you might also use scripture to convict us when needed, especially regarding our financial decisions and where to store our treasures, that we might choose well, that the roots of our faith might grow deep and we open our hearts to know you more. Thank you for the WOW, the Women of Westlake event and all the work that has gone into making it possible. We are treasured by you. Oh, that all the women who might come tonight would taste and see. In obedience to you, Almighty God, our Lord Jesus took up his cross and died that we might live. We praise you that he overcame death and is risen to rule the world. He is still the friend of sinners. We trust him to overcome every power that can hurt or divide us. And we believe that when he comes in glory, we will celebrate victory with him. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and on these your gifts of bread and wine, that in eating this bread and drinking this cup, we may know the real presence of Christ and be made one with him. And with all who share this feast, fill us with eternal life, that with joy we may be God's faithful people until we feast with him in glory. Join with me now as we pray the prayer our our Lord Jesus taught us to pray. Our Our Father, Father, who who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy Thy kingdom kingdom come, thy thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Scriptures tell us that as Jesus sat at table with his disciples, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take and eat. 
This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And it was in a similar manner that our Lord took the cup. And when he had blessed it, he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood. Whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do proclaim our Lord's saving death until he comes again in glory.